Well, the next presidential debate is scheduled for Sunday, and it could be decisive. Hillary Clinton says her strategy is to show the world that Donald Trump does not have the temperament to be president. Donald Trump says his strategy is to rip Hillary's head off with his bare hands, then shove fiery balls of acid down her neck until her entire body explodes, then to grind his heels into the flaming bits of whatever remains, then to sell his shoes on eBay so he can tweet out to his peeps about how he auctioned off bits of what used to be Hillary Clinton, and then she'll be sorry she ever said that stuff about his temperament. So, this might be a good time to take a final look at the polls to find out where the American people stand on the candidates and the issues before Trump destroys himself and it no longer matters. In Ohio, 47% of voters now say they'll vote for Hillary Clinton if she promises to stay out of Ohio. In Pennsylvania, 38% say they used to be for Donald Trump, but now just don't want to talk about it. And in Wisconsin, 17% want to know why the hell they're in Wisconsin when the last thing they remember, they were in Phoenix doing shots with a girl who said she was their ex-wife's sister. Nationwide, 43% of those who've personally met Hillary Clinton say they can no longer find their watch. 82% say they admire her because she remains totally unindicted after committing all those crimes. And 32% say they'll vote for Donald Trump because Miss Universe really was fat and her sex tape was blurry and you could hardly see what was going on, so what's up with that? On the issue of national security, 67% of Democrats agree with Hillary that Muslims have absolutely nothing to do with terrorism. 67% of Muslims say they're going to slaughter 67% of Democrats in the name of Allah. 67% of Republicans say they are locked and loaded, so let 67% of Muslims come and get them. 67% of Muslims ululate wildly, then charge at Republicans across the desert sands, swinging their scimitars over their heads. 83% of women wonder if anything else is on, and 72% of men say this is why they never let go of the remote because 83% of women want to change the channel just when things are getting exciting. On the economy, 92% of Democrats say Donald Trump should pay more taxes than he legally owes. Then they drop their voices and quietly ask for the name of his accountant. 76% of Republicans admire how Donald Trump has made a successful business out of telling people how successful his business is. And 55% of Democrats admire how Hillary Clinton has built a successful business out of selling her public offices for cash payments from foreign governments. On the issue of abortion, 82% say it's probably too late to use on Hillary since the woman's already 70 years old. 45% say Trump is also old, but what the hell, go for it. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zipity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. I think we should not only play that through the whole show, we should play the making of one again, you know, that we had that uh, 20 second thing of just people screaming into microphones, <laughs> like this in-depth documentary of how we made it. All right, you're, if you're watching on Facebook and iTunes, stand back from your computer because after 15, I'm sorry, Facebook or YouTube, stand back from your computer because after 15 minutes, it's just going to blow up. We just blow your whole computer up. You can only watch 15 minutes, and then you have to come to The Daily Wire or download us on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you subscribe, see, you could get around it for a lousy eight bucks a month. You can just watch the whole thing on The Daily Wire and come back afterwards and watch it again or watch it later or whatever you want to do. All right, we stand on the brink of a clavenless weekend. This one's going to cost us Florida. <laughs> I think we're just losing an entire state this clavenless weekend. 
Uh, you know, my daughter just moved out of Florida. She just left. And yeah, like two days, it was like driving as fast as she could her family, getting out of there. Yeah, it looks, it looks bad. Good luck down there. Uh, I'm sorry I can't be with you, but I'll be, you know, just watching on TV as you blow away, basically. Um, to get you through the Clavenless weekend, I have several interviews that are new interviews that are out. I just yesterday uh, talked to Jesse Lee Peterson, my pal, a great guy, and we had a terrific half-hour interview about my book. Uh, that is on YouTube. You can find it or on his, I'm sure his website, the Jesse Lee Peterson Show has it. And Tyler Smith, who was on the show once, uh, who likes, who does this uh, kind of Christian culture podcast. He has one called More Than One Lesson. So I sat down with him and we discussed werewolves for Halloween. And I have a book called Werewolf Cop, a novel called Werewolf Cop. And we discussed that. We also discussed my book. So you can hear either one of those. That is at one morethanonelesson.com, morethanonelesson.com. And, of course, the best way to get through every Clavenless weekend is to read my memoir, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. And that actually will prevent any disasters from happening for you to you during the Clavenless weekend. Monday, you're on your own. All right. We're not going to beat the vice presidential debate into the ground because who cares? But a lot of issues came up that I thought were really interesting. I just wanted to follow up on those. Um, first, let's just remind ourselves of how the vice presidential uh, debate went from the uh, Song of Fly Guys. One, two, three, fight. If Donald Trump had said all the things that you said he said in the way you said he said them, that's small potatoes Trump called Mexicans rapists. He went after John McCain. He said African Americans are living in hell. During his campaign, that's small potatoes. How can you make the economy stronger so I don't have to work this job any longer? An avalanche of regulation coming out of this administration. Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine want more of the same. All right. Hillary and I. Your hired plan, the Trump plan, this is your fired plan. Donald Trump, why would he do this? Donald Trump is a businessman. That is absolutely false. With all due respect, you're about to get wrecked tonight. It's a dead case fight. If Donald Trump had said all the things that you said he said in the way you said he said them. That's small potatoes. Trump called Mexicans rapists. He went after John McCain. He said African Americans are living in hell. During his campaign, That's small potatoes. <laughs> I love those guys. It's a songify. They just they just take the words and they just put an auto tune on them, and it really is funny. All right, never mind. Uh, you know, Pence is being hounded. It, it, most people think Pence won the debate, but all these people are saying, well, Pence didn't defend Donald Trump. But that is biased. Per se, that is biased in and of itself because what Cain didn't do is he didn't defend Obama's record, and Hillary is running on Obama's record. Hillary's campaign, aside from the fact that Donald Trump is out of control, that's her big campaign point, but basically her campaign is the country is in terrible shape, elect me and I will continue the great policies of Barack Obama. That is her, you know, her defense. But her husband, Bill Clinton, who... You know, people make fun of him because things come out of his mouth that he shouldn't say politically. But he really, first of all, he really does like people, which is not true of Hillary Clinton. And he really does feel their pain, you know, even though that's a kind of meaningless thing. But he knows what's going on. He knows the economy sucks, and he knows that Obamacare is a disaster. So the other day, he came out, and in the middle of this speech, he starts talking about the fact that Obamacare does not work. And this is what he originally said. If you were on the other side of this, if you were an insurer, you'd say, gosh, I only got 2,000 people in this little pool. 80% of the insurance costs every year come from 20% of the people. If I get unlucky in the pool, 
I'll lose money. So they overcharge you just to make sure, and on good years, they just make a whopping profit out of the people least able to pay it. It doesn't make any sense. But the people that are getting killed in this deal are small business people and individuals who make just a little too much to get any of these subsidies. So you've got this crazy system where all of a sudden 25 million more people have health care, and then the people are out there busting it sometimes 60 hours a week, wind up with their premiums doubled and their coverage cut in half. It's the craziest thing in the world. Obamacare, it's the craziest thing in the world. It is. Now, he dialed this back, but even as he's dialed it back, he's stepping on Obama's throat. I mean, he hates Obama, so that's part of it. <clears throat> but he's also just telling the truth. Here he is again. Look, there's a reason for the road rage today. People gone 15 years without a razor mat. You go, you go to work every day, you don't think you'll ever get a raise again. You can't take care of your kids. You can't guarantee their education. Can't pay for health care. I haven't talked about that, but... I strongly supported that bill, and it's given more than 20 million people more insurance, and it's repealed the most insidious thing that affected millions of families, the pre-existing condition, ability of insurance companies not to insure people or to close them too much. But there are problems with it. There are problems with it. And everybody knows it. The Republicans want to peel the law. Their idea of solving the problem is to take 20 million people who've got insurance and take it away from them, give it all back to insurance companies again. Hillary's idea is recognize what the problem is. <laughs> he's, saying, he's saying the economy stinks. Nobody's had a raise in, what did he say it was, 10 years? You know, it's basically the Obama administration, maybe Bush's as well. So that's when he, that's him dialing it back. That's him dialing it back, saying, oh, yeah, Obamacare just needs to be fixed and all this. Look, this, this is ridiculous. And Kane has no defense for this, and nobody's talking about it. That in the, even on the right, the, after the debate, it's all about how Pence didn't defend Trump. It's not his job to defend Trump. It's his job to attack the opposition. That's his job. But nobody mentions the fact that Cain couldn't defend anything that Hillary has done. He kept mentioning bin Laden. You know, bin Laden, I mean, come on. Even even the intelligence that, that helped track down bin Laden was gotten under the uh, George W. Bush administration. So, you know, look, hooray, they got bin Laden. I'm not denying that or taking away from that. But come on, it's eight years. The economy is still in the same state, and Obamacare is collapsing. So Trump picks up on this, and in his own inimitable, inarticulate way, picks up on what Bill Clinton is saying and, and goes and campaigns on it with it in Nevada. You know, they're always telling me, oh, if you say something, just apologize. Just apologize. I think that President Obama should apologize for Obamacare. And I think that Hillary Clinton should apologize for pursuing Obamacare, and she wants to make it even worse than it is right now. We're going to repeal it, and we're going to replace it with much less expensive and much better care. And this is essential for your great state and my great state, because Obamacare, the majority of the counties in your state have only one insurer to choose from. Did you read that this morning in your good paper? 
So, so basically, what he just said, even though he doesn't quite put it as concisely as he could have, being Donald Trump, is they're telling me to apologize for all the things I've said, but look at what Obama and Hillary Clinton have done. And that is the good argument. If he can make that argument on Sunday during the next debate, he has a chance of winning. Because after all, you know, words are words, but deeds are deeds. And deeds have put this country in a real, in really bad shape. And Obamacare, look, what else has Obama done besides Obamacare except destroy the Middle East? What else has he done? This is, as everybody says, including him, his signature program. Today in the Wall Street Journal the state director of Tennessee and the CEO of Americans for Prosperity write an article about what's happening to Obamacare in Tennessee. Here, here's just a little piece. Tennessee is ground zero for Obamacare's nationwide implosion. Late last month, the state insurance commissioner, Julie Mix McPeak, approved premium increases of up to 62% in a bid to save the exchange set up under the Affordable Care Act. I would characterize the exchange market in Tennessee as very near collapse, she said. Because what's coming, you know, what's happening is the people who get on Obamacare are sick and the young people are supposed to come and pay for it. They're begging. They're begging young people to come and pay for these sick old people who are going on Obamacare. Then last week, I mean, this is always what happens with government health care. You know, it doesn't work. It's, it's just mathematically unsustainable. Then last week, the article goes on, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee announced it would leave three of the state's largest exchange markets, Nashville, Memphis, and Knoxville. We have experienced losses approaching $500 million over the course of three years on the Obamacare plans, the company said, which is unsustainable. As a result, more than 100,000 Tennesseans will be forced to seek out new coverage for 2017. Now, remember that number. That's one state, 100,000 thousand people in one state, because I want you to remember that when you start to hear the people defending Obamacare. Obamacare's unraveling, the article goes on, shows the danger of a one-size-fits-all federal program. What's happening in Tennessee is only a nationwide harbinger. Every single neighboring state will have less competition on its Obamacare exchanges next year. The entire state of Alabama will have only one insurer. So so the competition, with no competition, right, rates have to go up. Almost all are facing double-digit premium increases in Mississippi, a weighted average of 16%, in Kentucky, 25%, in Georgia, 33%. And this is happening all across the country. Remember Jimmy Kimmel talking to Ted Cruz, and Ted Cruz said Obamacare is a disaster, and Jimmy Kimmel said, is it? Because it doesn't feel like a disaster to me. Yeah, Jimmy, because you're a millionaire. It doesn't feel like a disaster to me either. You know, that's not the point. That's not, it's always the poorest people who get hurt in socialism. You know, before he came in, our, our wonderful makeup lady, Taylor Payne, and I were talking about the communist quote-unquote witch hunts during the 1950s. And I said, well, you know, they weren't exactly witch hunts because there's no such thing as witches. You know, witches can't really hurt you. Communists really can. And the people they were hunting for were communists, and they really could hurt you, and they really meant to hurt you, and now they're running our government. Now the socialists are running our government. I have to stop here for a minute and say goodbye to our friends on Facebook. Gosh, that went by quickly. You're plunged. Facebook and YouTube, you are plunged into the Clavenless weekend unless you come to The Daily Wire to hear the rest. Hmm. 
So, okay, in defense of Obamacare, it's not hurting Jimmy Kimmel. This is really good. But everybody else, and especially the poor, are screwed. Megyn Kelly did a wonderful, wonderful piece last night where she had the archi- one of the architects of Obamacare, Ezekiel Emanuel, Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel, came on, and she played the—see, here's the thing about Obamacare, is that it's not just collapsing. It's collapsing exactly the way conservatives said it would collapse, and for exactly the reasons conservatives said it would collapse. So here— Megan plays her early interview right after Obamacare with Ezekiel and then brings him back on to talk about it. It's a little long, but it's worth listening to. Don't you agree the system is going to collapse unless we get no, those young I don't people, agree. Those young I people don't to agree sign with up? That. And- the president has given you a plan that will cover everyone. So if your employer decides he can't cover you or won't cover you, you have a safety net where you can get insurance. Is the exchange going to be a stable way to buy insurance without it going into a death spiral because we don't have enough people in it? Right. That's the key question. Right. And the answer to that question is yes. Yeah, going forward, that. it's going to be so, a stable place to buy insurance. So Joining me now, Vice Provost for Global Initiatives and Medical Ethics and Health Policy Department Chair at the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel. Doctor, great to see you again. Thank you for being here. So let's just start with that. Nice to be here. Stable market. Um, Obviously, it is not with this mass exodus of insurance companies, the decrease in competition, the hike, the enormous hikes in premiums in so many states and counties. Were you wrong? Megan, Megan, your reporter did a very nice job of cherry picking uh, only the most extreme. They don't raise premiums across the board. Some have gone up higher than others, uh, but 50, uh, 50 those plus pre- percent. The, the premium hikes are because they came in, they did miscalibrate the market, they were trying to get market share, and it is a correction. And, you know, it is a problem that we do need to address. There's no doubt it's, uh, it needs to be addressed, but it's not across the board. And uh, on average, we do not have higher than 15% increases in the premiums and it's going to be a one-time increase to but reflect the on average the fact, business doesn't help second, the person Meg- hold on but the on average person doesn't help the person in arizona county uh who's got a 51 percent hike in their premiums the people in tennessee who have a 62 percent hike but in their premiums for, again Meg- megan what you're identifying is one product there are many other products to choose from in those places so it in you many can, of these you places cherry- they only have one insurer one one you plan can, to choose from you, and one insurance company it, it, you can cherry pick, but it's not the only, it's not the average, and it's not what affects the majority of people. But the average doesn't mean anything th- to the person who is affected can, by the high cost the, and by the The second the thing insurer. is Republicans bear some of the responsibility for this. Remember, Marco Rubio eliminated uh, some of the risk adjustment that actually buffered and helped the insurance companies in this situation. Okay. Okay, three things about this. Let's, let's start with Rubio, first of all, because he ends with that. Rubio is a hero in this story, okay? People, you know, conservatives pick on Rubio because of the immigration thing, but Rubio helped stop the government from being on the hook for all these failures. What Obama wanted, he wanted, every time this went down the drain, he wanted you to pay for it. He wanted you to pay for his bad idea. The worse it got, the more you paid until finally it was government health care. Rubio put a stop to that or helped put a stop to that, and that's what he's complaining about. He's complaining about the fact that he can't reach into your wallet to pay for his lousy plan. That's what this guy's complaining about. Secondly, this thing where you're, oh, you're cherry picking this. And remember, we talk, that's why I wanted you to remember 100,000 people in one state. Those are the people he's shrugging off. 100,000 people in one state. And, and Megan's talking about Arizona now. You know, this is all over the country this is happening. Plus, the, the third thing is listen to what he said. Okay, it, on average, it's not a 50% hike. 
but he but he's talking about a 15 percent hike everywhere. Let's go back and listen to what Obama promised us. OK, here's just a little slice of some of what Obama promised us. A system where we're going to work with your employers to lower your premiums by up to twenty five hundred dollars per family per year. We will start by reducing premiums by as much as twenty five hundred dollars per family. Here's what change is saying to people who already have health insurance and the employers who are providing it will work to lower your premiums by up to $2,500 per family per year. I also have a health care plan that would save the average family $2,500 on their premiums. Okay, now that, that video goes on forever. I mean, it goes on like for five or six minutes of Obama promising you that premiums were coming down. You, you know, we all know I could also play the tape of him if you like your health care plan. You can keep your health care plan. That wasn't true. Everything they told you about this thing is a lie. And this is his signature plan. I'm not just picking on it because it's Obamacare. It's his signature plan. The left has been trying to get its hands on the health care system for 60 years at least, I mean, at least since the World uh, World War II. They have it in Britain. They keep pointing to it in Britain. I, I lived in Britain for seven years. The healthcare system there is antiquated. You know, it's antiquated. I mean, you know, they, they show up like basically, they will do house calls. That's an amazing thing. They will do house calls, but they show up in a horse, you know, horse-drawn carriage with like a big mirror on their head. And they would laugh at me when I would ask, <clears throat> you know, when something would go wrong and you'd think like, don't you want to do tests? <laughs> oh, you Americans are doing, doing tests, you know, tests. Yeah, we call it medicine. We call it like the 21st century, pal, you know, <laughs> because that's why a free market healthcare will get you. Also, you know, this, this thing now, like I said, is being paid for by they're begging young people to sign on and, and fining them, of course, if they don't sign on so they can pay for all the old people. Now, how's that? That's, that is literally a Ponzi scheme. That's how a Ponzi scheme works. You pay up front and then finally when there's no money, the guy at the tail end gets caught. And remember, this is built into the plan. Remember, another architect of this plan, Jonathan Gruber, said it was built in and they lied about it. Here's that cut. This bill was written in a tortured way to make sure CBO did not score the mandate as taxes. If CBO scored the mandate as taxes, the bill dies. Okay? So it's written to do that. In terms of in terms of risk-rated subsidies, if you had a law which said healthy people are gonna pay in, it made explicit the healthy people pay in and sick people get money, it would not have passed. Okay? Just like the people transparent lack of transparency is a huge political advantage. And basically, you know, call it the stupidity of the American voter or whatever. But basically, that was really, really critical to getting the thing to pass. And, you know, it's the second best argument. Look, I wish Mark was right. We can make it all transparent. But I'd rather have this law than not. You were stupid. You were stupid. And they used your stupidity. This is what the guy is saying. This is like, this, this is your government at work, folks. You know, <laughs> you were stupid. And so they didn't have, they wrote the bill so you couldn't understand it. And remember, you know, Nancy Pelosi saying, we got to pass it. Then we'll find out what's in it, you know. They wrote the bill so you couldn't understand it, but what they were hiding from you was the fact that young people have to sign on to pay for the old people because the bill doesn't work. It is a Ponzi scheme. That is what a Ponzi scheme is. Now, the reason I'm, I'm hammering on this is, I mean, Bill Clinton brought it up, but it's with everything. Remember yesterday I was talking about the economy that didn't grow. Obama has been predicting a 3.9% growth every year, the big growth every year. It's been half that every year, and it's getting less and less. The economy isn't growing. And when you think that, you know, those are just numbers, but those mean that mean people suffer. That's why people aren't getting a raise. The government doesn't give you a raise. All the government can do is get out of the way. If all the government can do is get out of the way of business, not overregulate business. Obama has heaped 
tons of regulation on business, so it can't breathe, it can't move, it can't work, it can't do anything. He has raised taxes, he has raised regulations, and when Pence says all this stuff uh, at the debate, well, let's play Pence number two. But a trillion dollars in tax increases, more regulation, more of the same war on coal, and more of Obamacare that now even former President Bill Clinton calls Obamacare a crazy plan. But Hillary Clinton... Stop it there. The, the thing is, you can say that Pence couldn't answer for all the big mouth, stupid stuff that Trump says, and Trump is a big mouth and he says stupid things. But Kane, who is saying, who on the air is saying that Kane never answered for the fact that every single damn thing Obama has done is a failure. You know, I, I'm not going to go through the whole Middle East, but remember Libya, our, our pals in Libya, which is now just an absolute chaos zone. All that, that was Hillary Clinton's idea. She pushed it in the administration. They overturned Gaddafi and the place went nuts. They pumped uh, weapons in there. The weapons are now in Syria. Aleppo is under siege, you know. I mean, one of the candidates, Gary Johnson, doesn't even know where Aleppo is. Well, Aleppo is where like 500,000 people have been slaughtered in the civil war in Syria where Obama has done nothing and Vladimir Putin has taken charge and is bombing these people into oblivion. And just always remember when you hear these numbers, you know, most of these people, I know, I know these countries are filled with our enemies, but most of these people aren't our enemies. They're kids and, you know, women who are just like doing what everybody does, you know, trying to raise their families and all that stuff. And those are the people getting killed in this. It's a horrific war in, in Syria. And Obama is frozen like a deer in the headlights. Even Nicholas Kristof of The New York Times, total left winger, total supporter of Obama, who always calls him a man of principle. I, what principle those are, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe he reminds him of his high school principle. I don't know what he's talking about. But okay, he admires him as a man of principle today. He wrote a column just saying this is a massive failure, a blot on his administration. But a blot, how could you see it? How could you see it among all the other blots? A blot would have to be on, a, you know, on something clean where you could see the blot. Everything has failed. Everything has failed. And of course, let's let's not forget the worsening crime numbers, murder up 10% in all those Democrat cities. I mean, it's 10%, that's up over 10% overall over the entire country in all, but most of it is generated in all those Democrat-run cities. And of course, this racial tension that Obama has stoked to divert people's attention from all the other stuff I'm talking about. You know, this was something that really got to me uh, in the midst of this debate. Uh, Elaine Quijano, the moderator, asked this question, a, a very emotional question, about uh, something that a black um, senator said. Let's just play this. Your I, fellow Republican, Governor Pence, Senator Tim Scott, who is African-American, recently spoke on the Senate floor. He said he was stopped seven times by law enforcement in one year. A US he senator. said, I have felt the anger, the frustration, the sadness, and the humiliation that comes with feeling like you're being targeted for nothing more than being just yourself. What would you say to Senator Scott about his experiences? Well, okay, and, and Pence had not, you know, kind of rambled on about he knows Scott and he's a friend of Scott's and all this stuff. Okay, great. The thing is, what Scott is saying is, is a real thing. You know, this really happens. Honorable, decent, upstanding American men and women whose skin is dark get stopped by the cops, and it's humiliating and it's infuriating. Happens to Muslims too. Good, solid, patriotic American Muslims get stopped, searched, 
you know, believe me, they pretend they're not doing it, but they do it. You know, uh, they racially profile them. They stop and search them. Who's to blame for that? The answer that Pence, I, I think, was probably didn't have the guts to give is that it's not the cop's fault. It's not the cop's fault. The cop is doing his job. It's the fault of the thugs who have the same skin color as Senator Scott, who are committing all those crimes and who are in, in a community that blames the police, which includes and is led by Barack Obama, that that causes that situation to happen. The cop isn't a racist. He may be a racist or he may not be a racist, but he's not acting on racist principles. He's acting on cop principles. Stop the guy who looks like he could be a criminal. It's obviously, it's it's difficult for Senator Scott, but he's blaming the wrong people. He should be blaming the thugs. The Muslims who get angry for being mistreated should be blaming the Muslim thugs who are committing the crimes and giving their religion a bad name. It's not the fault of the people reacting to those things. They're just reacting to what they see and extrapolating, generalizing is the way people learn. That's the way even scientists work. They make thesis, they make a generalization, and they test it. So, you know, all of this is on Obama. Everything that's on Obama is on Hillary. That has gone unanswered, and it is the best argument for Donald Trump there is. The best argument for Donald Trump is that he is not Barack Obama, and Hillary Clinton is. You know, and if he can make that argument on Sunday, he still has a chance to win this election. I don't even know if that's a good thing. I don't even know that it's a good outcome. I know Hillary winning is a bad outcome. And that's, you know, that's why I have to hope that Donald Trump can keep himself together in order to make the argument he has to make. All right. We always like to end with a little bit of music as we go off into the disaster of the Clavenless weekend. We like to leave you singing as you go down the drain. You know, that, that's basically it. And I've been thinking all week about the movie Forrest Gump. I love the movie Forrest Gump. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. And basically, it puts forward this thesis. It's, it's really a patriotic film. And it puts forward the idea that America is a stupid country, stupid and innocent, but its good heart somehow guides it through every trouble to the right answer. And that famous line, stupid is as stupid does, that we do things, you know, stupidly that turn out to, for the best. And I've been thinking about that. And right this minute, I have to say, I only agree with half this proposition that America is behaving in a very stupid way. America has is right th this minute a stupid country. But we can only hope that still, still, we have enough heart and enough decency to come through this out the other side. Let We will see. We'll be back on Monday to keep this going. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show, and we will talk to you then.